want to tell you, the enemy wants to come and take your voice. If you don't know by now, the enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. He wants to shut you up. He wants to destroy you. He wants to steal what you've got. But I want to tell you that there's someone greater. There is someone greater. Yesterday, I had the picture. Yesterday, we went out to um, Argyle. Then we, me, me, Uncle John and, and Godfrey were sat getting apps. We were singing in the rain, weren't we? <laughs> we were absolutely soaked. It was like you were there, John. Weren't you? John was undercover. He had a bit more sort of wisdom. We were like, we were kind of like to the end. But it was all right, though. We had good fun, didn't we? We had good fun. And um, Argyle scored, which was great, <laughs> which is really good. And as the second goal went in, I went over the seats. I didn't fall over the seats. I was like, I'm up. I'm over the seats. Went down onto the, the front bit there where, where they, the, the goal was. We were right at the goal where they scored. And as I went down to around the corner, all of a sudden, the match ball popped into my arms. <laughs> I don't quite know how it happened. Somebody must have, one of the defenders or someone must have kicked the ball in, in anger or whatever. And it went over the stands. I don't know, Zach, did you see that? You didn't see, you were asleep, weren't you? And then it came out, and all of a sudden, it just, the match ball popped into my hands. And John's there, he's laughing, he's thinking, what on earth? And I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I've all, I don't know if you've ever been to cricket, or, you know, you see the ball getting whacked into the stadium, and I've always wanted the ball, whether it's a cricket ball, a baseball, a basket, whatever it might be. I love to have a ball. And Andy, this match ball just all of a sudden landed into my arms. And then I'm aware that the whole Devonport end, where there's about 4,000 people, they're kind of celebrating, but also looking to think there's this tall guy stood holding this ball. And obviously I was excited because Argyle had scored as well, so I'm kind of... And then all of a sudden I didn't know what to do, so I just held it above my head. And I was like, almost, yes, I've got the match ball, which is even more exciting than Argyle going 2-1 up. All of a sudden, Cambridge, the opposition team's goalkeeper, started coming towards me. And he's motioning to me to say, can I have the ball back, please? <laughs> this is Cambridge United's goalkeeper. I don't even know who he is. He might be watching on you. You never know, do you? He might be a Christian. And he's motioning to me to get the ball back quick so they can start the game. So at this moment, I've got the power thinking the game can't start <laughs> until I give the ball back. <laughs> and do you know what I did? This is your pastor talking now. <laughs> the goalkeeper said, can I have the ball back? And this is your pastor saying, I said to him, I just looked him in the eye. And I just went, no, you can't. <laughs> This is your pastor saying to a goalkeeper, the enemy. I almost saw him as the enemy. No, you can't have the ball back. And then I don't know what he was going to do. It just kind of... And then I got a message from Martin. Where's Illy? I got a message from your lad, Martin, saying, Argo scored. He said, I was celebrating. All of a sudden, I looked down. And he said, all I could see you was a ball in the air. He's going... So, oh, I don't know. But this is what I... This is what I caught. I thought, God, what are you... Is there something you can say in this? Yeah. And there is. 
Because I want to tell you, that board to me represented something that God had given. Not, not the, it's metaphorically now. The, the enemy. Yeah, okay, the Cambridge go. But I want to tell you, the enemy comes and he wants to take what you've got. That's the point I'm trying to make, all right? If you're thinking, where is this going? Bring back Rob. The enemy wants to take what you've got. And I want to tell you, that ball, that, that thing was precious. But I want to tell you, your anointing is precious. That which God has given you, your peace is precious. Your joy is precious. And the enemy comes and he says, hey, give me that. <laughs> I want to take it from you. That's mine. And whereas actually God says, no, I died for you, for the joy set before you, so now you can know life. And I want to tell you, in the spirit today, you need to be saying, no, you can't have your ball back. You can't take it back. It's mine. It's mine. Eh? <laughs> no, I gave it to the ball boy in the end. I was very dignified. And the ball boy came up to me in the end and said, right, somebody needs to be mature here. Because <laughs> it clearly ain't you. <laughs> Now give the goalkeeper his ball back. So I gave it to the ball boy. He's only a little lad. I kind of, oh, okay, yeah. So I gave him his ball back, and the game continued. Argyle 1-3-1. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Please let them win promotion. Amen. Okay. You see, in this life, Jesus said, what did Jesus say? He said a lot of things. But he said, in this life, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have tribulation. The word tribulation there in the Greek is philipsis. You've got to get your tongue and your, your teeth in there for that. It sounds like a nice Caribbean drink, doesn't it? I'd love, love a good can of philipsis. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Sat on the beach with a straw in it. Philipsis. What does it mean? It means pressure. It means oppression. It means stress. It means adversity. It means squeezing. It means crushing. Crushing. That's this word tribulation. This is Jesus selling or telling us yeah. you're going to be crushed, you're going to be squeezed, you're going to have stress, you're going to have pressure, you're going to have adversity. But be a good cheer. Well, thanks, Jesus, for that. <laughs> it's all right for you to say, You're God in the flesh. What about me? But Jesus says, Be a good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. That word that be of good cheer actually means take courage. Take courage, Mo. Take courage. Just like I took that ball. Take courage. That's my responsibility. Take courage. Be of good cheer, Jesus said. See, it's the same spirit. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the life, from the dead, sorry. It was the same spirit that made Jesus alive, that raised him from the dead, that now lives in you and me. Yes. If that's not worth shouting about, then I'm in the wrong church. That's why it's be of good cheer. I've overcome the world because whatever squeezing, whatever pressure, whatever may come in your life in this season, you can say it's the same spirit in me that raised Jesus from the dead. But it don't feel like it sometimes, does it? No. See, crushing, and we can hear the digger and the crusher over there crushing all the stones up, actually, as I'm talking. 
carries on just dig, 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 dig. See, that's what the enemy comes, just to annoy you, doesn't he? All the time, just dig, 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 all the time, chipping away. But be a good tear. Take courage. Take courage. See, crushing is the process. Going through the valley is the process. The storm that we see in the Bible is the process. Getting to the other side is the promise. Coming out of the valley is the promise. But you've got to preach both. I want you to hear me. You've got to preach both. See, all we hear a lot of the time is always about the promise. And the promise is important, but it's not so as important as the process as well. You've got to preach both. Why have you got to preach both? Because if you find yourself in a storm, if you find yourself in a valley, and you're not getting to the other side, then you'll think there's something wrong with you. You'll think Jesus has let you down. You feel like you've failed. If all we do is preach the promise, you feel like you've done something wrong, but you haven't done anything wrong. It's the process and the promise. See, it says here, it says, those who God anoints the most, he also crushes the most. Because the crushing produces oil. He prunes. Who does he prune? God prunes those who are already bearing fruit. And if it's a season of pruning that you're going through, he's pruning you because you're bearing fruit. But he's also a pruning process so that you will bear more fruit. There's always a purpose to the process. And I'm noticing that there's many that are being pruned, being crushed, being squeezed. And a lot of the time, do you know why? It's because of his word. It's interesting that we had a year of kind of almost riding the mountaintop with this word, this prophetic word. And now all of a sudden, it seems that we seem to be going through a season of real testing, of real pruning, of a crushing, of a squeezing, of going through the valley. But I want to tell you, we're coming through the other side. Amen. We're coming through the other side. We have to. That's the promise. That's the promise. Wendy, on Wednesday... I always like saying that, Wendy on Wednesday. She mentioned, she said, she gave the Bill Johnston quote, quote, and this is what he said. He says, I can't afford to have thoughts in my head about me that God doesn't have in his. That's what Bill Johnston said. I want to say it again. I can't afford to have thoughts in my head about me that God doesn't have in his. That's good, isn't it? The Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. The thoughts you think line up. What you think about yourself is who you are. And Rob's recently been talking about creation, isn't he, from Genesis, the genius of Genesis. 
And God spoke and said, let there be light. But do you know God had to think that first? It was a thought before he said it. Sometimes we don't think through before we speak, do we? Just comes out. Like the goalkeeper, can I have my book? No. <laughs> Should have thought about it and said, yeah, of course. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a local church. Of course you can have your ball back. Should have thought about it. But the woman with the issue of blood, she said that she thought in herself, if only. She didn't even say it. She had to think it. She had to think it. If only I can get to Jesus, I will be made well. It starts with a thought. This is what T.D. Jakes says. I love T.D. Jakes. He says, the greatest sermon starts within you. (laughs) I like that. See, because you don't have to be up here to preach a sermon. You've got to talk to yourself. When you wake up in the morning, you've got to talk to yourself. See, me and Rob and the leadership team, we just don't want to give you a high on a Sunday, Nora. We don't want you just to make you think that you just got to get high on a Sunday and have a hit on a Sunday. We want to be giving you something that you can wake up on a Monday morning and say, hey, I can make it through. I can go on Tuesday. I can go on Wednesday. See, I don't want to be a Christian that just has, a, has almost a, a, an addiction on a Sunday and that's enough. And then you hit a low on a Monday. We would be failing in our job if we were to do that. But I want to give you something that you can take and you can think upon and you can chew upon for a Monday morning and a Tuesday morning. You've got to talk to yourself sometimes. You've got to give yourself a sermon. That's the best sermon you can preach. It's a sermon to yourself because you know yourself better than anyone else. We're our own worst self-critics, aren't we? Often I can give myself a good speaking down to. Say I'm useless and I'm rubbish and you're not good enough and you should have said this, you should have said that, you looked at that person. We do, don't we? I keep hearing it all the time that the hardest person to forgive is yourself. We know Jesus has forgiven us. We're almost okay with that. But when I'm pastoring people and say to them, you need to forgive yourself, that's where it starts to get rocky. But we need to get to a place, and you need to get to a place where we actually feel okay, that we can say, yeah, I forgive myself. We're our own worst critics, but Jesus has forgiven you, so why are you holding on to it? need to be a letting go. But just think about that. The greatest sermon starts within you. Starts within you. I'd just like us to turn to Mark chapter 6, please. We got Zach on the um, on the screen this morning. Not on the screen. He's actually here live. He's doing the um, the the what what do we got? I don't know. Never the computer. Yeah, but it sounds a bit basic saying the computer. Don't we? we need like a better word? We got the sound technician there, Dave, the sound technician. But we do we've got the computer technician. Is that what we're calling it? But we, it's his first morning, and then he's got me on. I'm the first time with the new cameras, and I'm going to give him a bit of a. He said, "Just make sure you stand still." So, in true fashion with the Cambridge goalkeeper, I looked at him and I just went, no. <laughs> I'm doing my best to keep still, all right? So, Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 52. It's a well-known, well-known passage, and I've preached on it, actually. I'm getting so old now. 
in, in kind of sermon terms, I think I've even preached this a couple of times. That's how, that's how well known it is. It's where Jesus is walking on the water. See, in, in, Mark, in, in Mark's gospel, it's, I think, I believe it's the only um, sort of power or, or the happening that happened in the, in the New Testament where it's actually mentioned in all four gospels. I believe that's true, isn't it? Yeah, all the other stories, there's some where it's not mentioned in Mark and others where it may be not mentioned in Luke. And there's certain stories that are kind of in, in one gospel. But the, the, the walking on the water or feeding the 5,000, sorry, is the only one where it's in every, every gospel. And so Mark here, this is the gospel. It says that when Mark wrote the gospel, the emperor Nero was actually persecuting the church. Okay, this is when Mark's gospel was written. When he was writing these sayings here, Nero was persecuting the church. And I think even um, it's very likely that Paul and Peter had been executed already when he had actually written the gospel of Mark. Very likely that they had been executed for the kingdom, Peter and Paul. And so against this backdrop of the threat of death, we got Mark writing the good news of the gospel. Kind of feels a bit strange, doesn't it? Thinking, hang on a minute, we're coming against persecution and there's things that are happening and you're writing the good news of the gospel. That's what I want to say this morning is that it's so important that you know the firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So this is the, the backdrop of what the gospel is written in. So who, let me ask you a question, who loves leftovers? Who loves leftovers? Yeah? Yeah? We got some hands. Amanda waving her hand. We love good leftovers, don't we? I'd, normally, if it's Chinese. All right, Lisa's laughing. And we had Dave and Lisa around for Chinese on Friday, and there were no leftovers. <laughs> I think Dave left a few noodles. And I was like, are you going to You could take them? He's like, nah, it's just noodles he's going. So I'm like, do I want to take Dave's noodles? So I'm kind of, no, nah, they weren't good enough to take, take the noodles. But I love Chinese leftovers. Yeah, if there's going to be any leftover, I love a good Chinese leftovers, yeah? You can kind of put them in the little plastic containers they've got, stick them in the fridge, and then I love eating it the day after. What do you mean, Chinese? I don't know, sweet and sour chicken balls or chicken fried rice or... Oh, I'm starting to drool now and kind of get hungry. Whatever it is, even chips. Joe gets annoyed because I love Chinese chips. absolutely love Chinese chips. But the day after, they kind of go like cardboard a bit, don't they? They go, they're not good, but I still eat them. I still, if we get, I get enough left over on, on a Monday or whenever we have it, the day after Chinese. Spaghetti bolognese is another one, isn't it? There's something about spaghetti bolognese that kind of fuses together. Lasagna, yeah, all that kind of like sort of saucy stuff. It's just lovely, isn't it? The day after is lovely. I love lef leftovers. I love it. I love it. But here... When Jesus is walking on the water, why do I say that? It's because they had just fed the 5,000. And Jesus has just told his disciples, what did he tell them? He said, gather up all the leftovers. Gather up all the fragments, Margaret, okay? They would have been half-eaten loaves of bread. There would have been crumbs everywhere. There would have been stuff where it said they ate and they were so full that they would have just gone, I can't eat no more. They'd started, their eyes were bigger than their belly. Did your mum used to tell you that when you were, mum used to always tell me that, your eyes are bigger than your belly. Well, stop looking then. 
but there would have been half-eaten fish, uh, fish heads. There would have been loads of fish heads lying around everywhere, wouldn't there? Beautiful. I know, I thought you, you would have enjoyed that, but there would have been bits of fish lying around everywhere, bits of bread. So can you imagine the disciples? It was late. Okay, we've got to put this into context. The best way to read the Bible is in context. You know that? I meet lots of Christians now that they take the Bible out of context. But you've got to keep the Bible in context. So this is what was happening. Jesus said, gather up all the fragments. Gather them up. They were tired. Can you imagine you just fed probably about a good 20,000 people? Women and children as well. And there was chaos. There was co- the, the Capernaum City Council would have been on to them for leaving a fly tip. They had to gather up all these fragments and take them with them. It says 12 baskets. See, what that says to me is there was one basket for each disciple. So they had a basket each. That's our God. He doesn't leave anybody out. They had a basket each. But it was probably smelling a bit fishy. Bit fishy. And the bread, they tucked with them, but they were tired. Can you imagine that at the end? When they had finished, all the multitude went away. Jesus sent them away. But then he looks at the 12 guys and he went, ah, da, 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 where, where do you think you're going? <laughs> They're going, well, I'm tired. I just want to sleep. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not, you're not going anywhere. I want you to clear all this up now. Can you imagine the, the frustration, the annoyance? I would have been, I would have been like, well, we've just done an amazing miracle. It's like, surely we can get to go to, can't you magically clear it up, Jesus? <laughs> I mean, you did the miracle of feeding the 5,000. What about now cleaning up for the 5,000? That would have been good, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would have been brilliant. But he didn't. He said to him, you pick it up. You clear up, you put it in the basket. So you can understand as it says that their hearts were hardened, they were tired, they were, they were kind of almost at wit's end a little bit. You can relate to where they were at, can't you? If you were told to do that late at night when you would, were so busy, they had also just found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. They had literally just buried him. So can you imagine them in their grief? Not just out of tiredness, but grieving as well. This is all the, the emotions when they get into the boat. See, and you can just read this and think, oh, well, what's wrong with them? They're getting in the boat. Man up. Kind of get over it. But when you start to look at what actually happened leading up to it, you can relate your own life to it, can't you? Yeah. I can. Because sometimes it doesn't always, when it, we're on the mountaintop, it's not when it's always going easy. You think other things kick in. In our family, we've had lots of stuff that we're dealing with, but God's still faithful. you still got to preach the message. And so in verse, let's have a little, little look. Verse 47, this is, he, he, he made them get in the boat, look, verse 45. Immediately, he made them get into the boat, Mark 6. But Jesus sent the multitudes away. At least he didn't tell them, the disciples to do that bit. Jesus actually took some responsibility and sent the multitudes away. The disciples were happy about that. But they're thinking, get into the boat. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Verse 47, when the evening had come. What does it say? It says the boat was in the middle of the sea. See, I said this earlier. 
And I said to Cal, I'm preaching my message already to you. Don't confuse where you are with where God's called you to be. They were in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, tired, drained, grieving, dark. Anything else? Wet. Don't confuse where you are with where God's called you to be. It's easy to to think, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is my final destination. It's it, Lord. The storm's coming in. This is it. My life's over. It's done. But I want to tell you, it's not. It's not your final destination. I remember when I went to see Trudy in Tanzania. I remember I had to get a, a, a connecting flight to Kenya first, Nairobi. Couldn't even just go straight to Dar es Salaam. I had to go to Nairobi first. Then when I got there, they said, your flight was cancelled. And I'd already flown for 12 hours. I'm shattered. I'm thinking, I feel a bit like what the disciples were like. And they said to me, you've got to go to Zanzibar. So I said, I like the sound of Zanzibar. That would be nice. I don't know if any of you know where Zanzibar is. It's like a tropical island where, you know, they got cancer philipsis on Zanzibar. (laughs) I was thinking, great. I said, how long are we going to be there for? He said, you won't even get off the plane. You're only on the runway. And then you've got to leave again. So I was like, blimmin' heck. And as I was flying there, it was in the other direction as well. We wasn't even flying down to Tanzania. We were going backwards. And I could have thought then, well, this is it. But it wasn't my end destination. It was just for a moment. But I had to keep my eyes and my focus because I was tired. I didn't know where I was, really. But I knew it wasn't my end destination. And it's the same for you today. Don't confuse where you are with where God has actually called you to be. Because we're passing through. There's a miracle on the other side. Verse 48. I love this. And it says, and he saw them straining at rowing. That's a throwaway line. They were stretched beyond their limit. They were stretched beyond their limit. Ever feel like that sometimes? I do. But I want to tell you what I take from this is it says that Jesus saw them straining. Don't think that Jesus doesn't see you in the struggle. Don't think that Jesus is not near. It says immediately, he says that he came walking to them about 3 a.m., the fourth watch, between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 in the morning. They were straining at rowing. Because it says that the wind was against them. See, what that says to me is you could be doing the right thing, but in the wrong wind. So today, be encouraged. You can be doing the right thing. It may just be the wrong wind at the moment. It's not a dodgy Chinese, the wrong wind. But you could be doing the right thing, but in the wrong wind. See, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he says that you've got to preach in season and out of season. You've got to speak to yourself in season and out season when it's favorable and when it's not favorable. And I can imagine the disciples there, and I've said it myself, is they would have been there thinking, we're being obedient. We're acting on your word, Jesus, and here we are. We're not going anywhere. At least throw me a flipping bone here, Jesus. I'm blooming rowing, doing my best. You can put in your own words there if you want it. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm being obedient. Have you ever been in that one? 
Well, you've acted on what God said and then it doesn't seem to pan out and you think, God, where are you? Do you care? Just at least make it a bit easier, Jesus. See, they were rowing into a headwind. And I'm sure that at least Judas, pretty sure Judas, we always blame Judas, I'm pretty sure he probably piped up and said, isn't it easier just to go back to the land? <laughs> the wind's coming this way, isn't it easier just to go back to where we came from? Isn't that what the enemy says? When things get a bit tough, it's to say it's easier to go back, and I know I've said it many times, and Peter said, where else can we go? What can we go back to? Lord, if you do nothing else in my life, you're still worthy. If you do nothing else, you'll have my worship. We can't turn back. No. We've come too far. And I know Rob mentioned last week for the people that were of a, of a, a gray haired kind of age group, is to look and say, God's not let you down. And for us younger folk, and I'm still in that bracket, all right? Still in that bracket. Don't laugh too much, Margaret. <laughs> it's to look on and say, God's been faithful to you, and he has no favorites. So if he's been faithful to you, he's going to be faithful to me. But sometimes it may look different. It may look different different seasons in our lives. That's why it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because sometimes people are rejoicing and there's other times where people are absolutely on their knees saying, God, I can't take another step. I don't know which way to turn. God, are you even there? But Jesus says he sees you in the struggle and he came to them. That gives me great hope. But it also says that he would have passed them by doesn't it? It says he saw them, he came to them, but Reggie would have walked by. What do you mean? Jesus would have walked by when they're struggling? What does that mean? What does that mean? See, he'll let you keep straining. He'll let you keep doing it on your own until you cry out to him. See, what does that say to me? That says that stinks of religion. That stinks of religion. It's to say, I can do it. I can keep rowing. I'm going to keep going, Andy. Keep lifting those big speakers. <laughs> I'm going to keep rowing and keep rowing in my own strength, my own self-righteousness. I can do Jesus has said we're going to the other side, and I'm, I'm going to keep going. That, to me, stinks of religion smells worse than the fish in the bread that's probably going off by now. Can you imagine they were sat there with a basket next to them as the wind and the waves are coming in? It doesn't say it in the Bible, but I like to think it's likely, John, all right? It's likely that they may have had the basket with them. We don't know that. But preacher's license, all right? They're probably getting a bit soggy by now. But that stinks of religion. Your own effort. And it's verse 49. We won't do the YouTube clip, Zach, right? It's too late. I had a YouTube clip of wind and waves and sounds of blowing a hoolie. But can you imagine 
as the rain was driving in their faces, a bit like at Argyle yesterday, <laughs> the wind would have been unbelievable. The wind would have been unbelievable. That driving rain into their faces. They're in the middle of the sea. Mountains on both sides. And can you imagine at three o'clock in the morning when they're absolutely shattered and they're looking and they think, is that a ghost? They're trying to almost look to think, trying to stop the rain and the wind getting in their faces. Sometimes again in our own lives, can you see yourself like that? Thinking I've just got to do what I can to survive. The visibility was probably zero, but the noise would have been an unbelievable noise. But what did they have to do? They had to shout. They had to shout. And I said at the beginning, the enemy wants to take your shout. That's what he wants to do. He wants to take your shout. But they had to shout out. Jesus would have passed them by. But they had to shout. And as soon, it says immediately. Everyone say immediately. Immediately. Verse 50, it says immediately, as soon as they cried out, thank you, Jesus, he walked to them. He talked to them. Doesn't that give you great hope today that says, when I cry out to God in my trouble, he talks to me, he meets me? But what did he do? Jesus didn't say, take control. Jesus didn't condemn them and say, man up. What are you doing? You're experienced fishermen. You should be able to handle this storm. You're used to the storm. He didn't say that. He didn't say take control. What did he do? He compassionately said to them in verse 50, he said, be a good cheer. What does that mean there? The word literally means take courage. Take courage. Take courage. See, we don't get to control the storm. You don't get to control the storm. We like to. We like to have it, all those control freaks, Dave. <laughs> all those people that like to be in control, that like to, I'm one of those. I like, we don't like to things to be out of control. Most, Andy's nodding at me. Reg is nodding at me. <laughs> we like control, don't we? We like to control the storm. We like to know what everything's planned. And when something comes in from the left and the right, it knocks us sideways. But we don't get to control the storm but we also don't let it control us. Don't let it control you. See, wisdom doesn't prevent the storm. We know, don't we? We sung it this morning. The wise guy and the foolish guy both had the same storm. So it's not about wisdom. It's not about our intellect. Thank God. See, taking control of the storm is his responsibility. And I'll say it slowly. Taking control of the storm is his responsibility. Taking courage in the storm is my responsibility. <laughs> taking control is his responsibility. But taking courage. What is courage? Courage is facing your fear. Courage is saying, if Jesus has said it, then I'm not moving from it. But that's my responsibility. Taking control isn't. I have to say, God, this is too big for me. Taking courage is his responsibility. See, because what I love is it says, what he told you on the dry ground still stands when you're on the water. 
What he told you on the dry ground still stands on the water because he's the one who stands on the water. Yeah? Yeah. The wind and the waves know his name and his voice. They obey his voice. They know it. They know it. But what does it say? It says that, to me, it says that um, in Matthew's version of it, it says that they, they worshipped. When Jesus came to them, they worshipped. See, it took a storm for the disciples to realize who Jesus was. They said, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly. It took a storm to do that. But I want to be part of a church today. And I said this to you as we were praying. I want to be part of a church that says, I will worship you before you've calmed the storm. Not just because you've calmed it. And I'm preaching a sermon to myself this morning. And I said to you, I've decided... I want to be part of a church that praises him and worships him before the calm, the storm is calmed. Yeah? Not just because he's calmed it. Anybody can pray, so anyone can be a Man City supporter nowadays, can't they? When they're winning the league, jumping on the bandwagon. Don't know why I was looking at John. You're not even a... Oh, Carol's a Man... You're a Man City fan, eh? She's always loved Man City, Carol. <laughs> She's her biggest fan since when? 2016, when they won the league. <laughs> but, oh, well, Pep, oh, yeah, Pep. But you've got to stick with them through thick and thin, haven't you? Through the storm, not just because he's calmed it, but before he calms it. When they didn't know that he was going to calm it, I want to worship. To say, Lord, even if you don't calm this storm, you're still worthy. Even if it doesn't happen in my life, you're still worthy. That sounds bold, but I've got to speak it out so that I can hear it. I remember Mike saying years ago, Faith, you've got to speak it out. It goes around and it comes back in. Amen. And I haven't forgotten that. Amen. And sometimes when we're believing even for family members to be saved, for things in our lives, for God to show up and say, God, where is this? What's happening? I love Kat's testimony today to say you were still singing that song even when it wasn't happening. That's true faith. That's when rubber hits the road. That's the kind of Jesus I want. And then there's a whole bit in there. I know we're coming to a close. Mark's gospel, he doesn't even mention that Peter walked on the water. A lot of scholars and a lot of theologians think that this is actually Peter's gospel, Mark's. That Mark penned it, but it was actually Peter's gospel. But isn't it interesting that Peter leaves that bit out? Matthew mentions it. He says that Jesus, Jesus was walking to them, and Peter said, if it's you, call me to come out. Wouldn't you have thought Peter would have mentioned that? But he didn't mention it. See, his footprints in the sand, they carry you. But his footprints on the water... They catch you. They catch you when you need saving. Aren't you grateful for the footprints on the water? When you're going through something, you need to know that there's a God who comes to you. The all-sufficient one. See, very often the storm wants to prove to you who Jesus really is. He wants to be your source. That's what we talked about yesterday, wasn't it? He wants you to know that he is your source that is nowhere else. 
Religion can't do it. Your friends and family can't do it. If Job had listened to his friends, he would have been in a mess. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Let's stand to our feet, please. Thank you for your time. It's only Jesus. And that's the title of my message today is When God Steps In. Simple as that. Dave, you ain't got to worry about a title today. When God Steps Oh, he's done it there, look. That's good, isn't it? That'll be up on YouTube later. When God Steps In. I like that. I like that. But I want you to see that. It's to say when God steps in, things change. I'd encourage you, even those who are even on YouTube, just have a, have a watch of it, even if it's just for two minutes. What it does is it pushes it up so that other people can see it. There are lots of people now that I'm hearing of that actually watch our messages. Do you know that? But when God steps in, he's the God of the storm. Let's just close our eyes for a second, please. I know there are some people in this place that you just need to hear that today. That this is not your final destination. That the storm is just the process to get you to the promise. But the, prom the process has got to be preached. The process has got to be preached or else you'll feel like you're doing something wrong. You feel like there's something wrong with you, but there's not. It's Jesus trying to get you to reveal to you who he is, that he's your source. Don't be confused where you are now with where your destination is going to be. Remember, taking control is his responsibility, but taking courage is yours. Remember that what he told you on the dry ground still stands on water because he is the one who stands on the water. And so, Lord, today, as this is your word, it's not my word. I'm just a vessel, Lord, that you've used to speak to your people. It's to say that God wants you to know that he steps in. And when he steps in, things change. When he steps in, he brings comfort. When he steps in, he brings peace. And we know that the end of the storm, Jesus says one word, peace be still. And the storm stops. The storm stops and there's a calm. And I declare that over some of you this morning, just to hear to say, God says, peace be still. Know that there's a loving savior that cares for you today. That he's above the storm. He's walking on the storm. It's under his feet. So be of good cheer. Take courage. Lord, that's our declaration to you today. It's the Lord, just even take my hand in this storm. Take my hand in this storm that he's got you. He's got you. And so, Lord, that's where we leave it this morning. Don't need to say anything else. We leave it with you, Jesus. 
We don't want to do it in our own strength. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to be self-righteous. We just want you, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we have some fellowship, as we have a, a cup of tea, Lord, that, Lord, let you be in our conversations even, Lord. That as we flow one with another, Lord, your presence is still in this place. We're thankful, Lord, for what you're doing. We want to be a church that says you are worthy. That this is a safe place to be vulnerable, to share our hearts one with another. This is a safe place. And so, Lord, we ask that you'll seal this word in our hearts. That ears have been opened to hear what your spirit is saying. For those that may watch this online later, Lord, let hearts be softened. That your seed of your word will be planted in their hearts that it may grow and bear fruit. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as your presence goes with us as we go, we thank you. You are worthy. And we continue to speak Jesus in this season because we're not backing down. We're not backing off. We're not going back. We've come too far. Thank you, Lord. You say amen. 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 God bless you.